Hello and welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is a place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Michael Wilson, business and economics anchor and commentator, broadcaster and author. Michael founded Sky's business coverage at the channel's inception in 1989. Over the next 20 years, he anchored coverage for a range of landmark events, from the collapse of the Berlin Wall to the last global financial crisis and beyond. Since leaving Sky in 2009, Michael has broadcast for the BBC, ITV, Reuters, Fox, Al Jazeera, TRT World, LBC and has hosted the Business Breakfast on Jazz FM. He co-wrote Fixing Britain, the business of reshaping our nation with Lord Digby Jones, giving no-nonsense solutions from the straight-talking face of British business. In 2005, Michael was voted Business Broadcaster of the Year, and in 2006, he was made a Freeman of the City of London. So firstly, a very warm welcome to you, Michael, and thanks for sparing us some of your time. Thank you. Lovely to talk to you. Now, clearly the world of finance has dominated your working career. How did it come about, and had it been what you would have wished to have done? No, I honestly, uh, what I wanted to do was to become a journalist. And I did English at university, and that's really destination nowhere, quite honestly. And it was only when I was fortunate enough to be launched or to meet people in Fleet Street, whom I thought, oh, I could do this. So what I did was I became a a sort of industrial editor for a a commercial part of IPC then. It's now long gone. Went into technical and business press. And then finally, uh, Thames Television were looking for a new business program, and I went to work for them. Uh, So it was a a kind of roundabout route. So I was was kind of, you know, in journalist terms, I was pretty old by the time I got into mainstream. I was 27 by the time I got into that. So in broadcast, I mean, obviously, given your knowledge and experience, you've seen many changes over the years. But in broadcast, I'm talking about the sort of breadth and depth of coverage that we currently have. Do you think it's improved or is there room for for more coverage? Do you know what I think there's room for? I think there's room for lots of informed comment, as there always was. I talk to you. I talk to a lot of your people who do the similar kind of business as analysts, you know, within the city. And what you do is you hope that they cut through all the noise and then they give you the news. And that's what you do. It's it's really a question of harnessing expertise within a sector and then being able to do it properly, which you and I, you mainly, have done over the years. And I'm very pleased to have been working with you. Very kind of you to say, Michael. Of all those, we have indeed spoken many times, of all the financial stories over the last 20, 25 years, has there been a favourite of yours to cover? I think the the favourite one was the one I never got a handle on, which was bearings, to be honest. I mean, and I didn't never got a handle on it because I don't think anybody did. I don't think the high-ups within that bank had got any idea what was going on at all. As far as the financial crisis in 2008 was concerned, um, with you, I used to do it live from various banking floors around the city, various, various um, trading floors. And occasionally, unbelievably, the treasurer would ring up and say, you sure about those figures? And I'd say, are you sure about those figures? And they'd say, uh, possibly. So it was all that, you know, so it was, it was, uh, that was the big thing as far as I was concerned. You were kind of walking forward, you know, within that financial crisis, taking all those big sources with you. Don't you feel it was the same thing? I mean, we did it together, didn't we? We absolutely did, yeah. They were uh, extraordinary times. And of course, it's uh, it's only when you've been in the business for a, a number of years that uh, you can reflect back that um, at, the, at the time it seemed the end of the world was ending. But of course, uh, we got through it. No, we did. I mean, and this this is the thing, isn't it? If you look if you look back at the big crash in 1987, it seemed like the world was coming to an end. It didn't. It was just it was a hiccup, wasn't it? 
And most of these things are. If you believe in the way things work, in other words, if you believe in capitalism, if you believe in individuals having a say in their future, which I think is what it's about, then I think you believe in it. If you don't, then you believe in lecturing people and telling them what they ought to do. And that seems to me to be socialism. And I mean, I can see that what this government is doing right now is having a bit of both. What they're saying is, look, we're going to be fiscally prudent, but what we're going to do is we're also going to spend where we feel it's necessary. That's a very, very difficult thing to do. And on that sort of the educational side of things, obviously we've seen a, a rise in podcasts such as this one, numerous YouTube videos, etc. Do you think that's helped in terms of education? And what about the potential concerns about whether the content is from a reliable and or educated source? I mean, that you put your finger on the issue. It's not about the amount of information, the noise. It's about choosing. And again, unfortunately, and I hate to break this to people, it's about education, isn't it? It's about being able to say, I trust that source. I don't trust this source. And the reason I don't trust it is it doesn't, if you want, if you want to invest, if you want to get involved in the money market, you have to do your own research. There's no point in buying information from people or copying information from people. You take what the view is and then you you kind of work out whether that's good for you or not. It's it's a really difficult nothing is simple. It it really is a difficult thing to do. And you know, over the years we, we've talked to each other, haven't we, about you know which way the pound's going, which interest rates are going, all that kind of general stuff. But actually it's that's sort of it. But the, the bottom line is that you have to say to people, look, if you want to find out about me, then go and find out about the company you're interested in. Kick the tires. Do you want to invest? you want to save these are big decisions that people have to answer and if and if they don't do that well they shouldn't be in there and i would you know if i were education secretary for example which i never ever be in my lifetime but i would be saying why do they not have at least a smidgen of the knowledge that you and i have gathered over the years to say is this a good company is this a bad company? Don't you agree? I mean, I, I, I read your market analysis every morning and I agree, you know, th this is what you do. You dissect those things very, very quickly and then you offer an opinion. Now, there's a load of knowledge available. It's a question of how you use it. It's something I think that often occurs to me in terms of, I mean, there's obviously the anecdotal stories from the States that if you're getting a yellow taxi over there and they're talking about the market, it's just about to pop. But again, if we go back to the late 80s, I think it's fair to say that notwithstanding a lot more could be done, that financial education in the public has, has probably improved. I don't know whether maybe the pandemic focused a few minds with people potentially having more time in their hands to do some of the research that you mentioned, which is absolutely vital. You know what? I don't think that happened at all. I think there was a, a larger there was a larger appetite for cryptocurrencies, and that's not investing. That is just gambling. That's like going to the horses. I mean, it, it still is. I, I can understand the position where they may well be part of the of the financial mainstream, but they aren't at the moment. And I think, it, yes, of course, it increased that. Of course, it asks questions about who's guiding our future. Is it central banks? Oh, central banks are awful. Well, they kind of aren't. They kind of aren't, you know? I mean, they operate within a 
within a, a large system. It's not like Bitcoin. It's not like cryptocurrencies. I can understand why central banks want to get into cryptocurrencies because it shows them exactly where the money goes to and what people are spending. And therefore, they can do their forecast better. But in terms of Bitcoin and the rest of it, it's a gamble. It's, it's not an investment. It's, it's an asset play. And that's all it is. Now, what we've been through has forced a lot of people or encouraged a lot of people to act outside the system. Well, good luck to them. Maybe the two will meet in the middle, but not tomorrow and not next year. Yeah, certainly until there's some rather more regulation in the space. So in terms of how we kind of consume at the moment, I mean, obviously, we started off with one TV channel. By the time we got to the 80s, we were up to four. Now we're probably up, up to 400,000. Print media is, is obviously still hanging on. There's, there are still magazines in existence. How do you see the, the landscape changing over the next 10 years or so? Is it the death of the print newspapers, for example? 10 years is a long time, Richard. I, I think what, what will happen is this, that there will be certain people whom you actually trust in what they say. And it doesn't matter what media they're actually in, if they write a piece or it's on podcasts or it's on, you know, online and the rest of it. There are certain people who in within a certain age range, you think, yep, I get that. I understand what that person's saying. As far as the noise, the, the, the flash and the burn of it is concerned, well, I'm sure lots of people be interested in that and good luck to them. I would much rather... I, I, I think the broadcast media are slightly out of date now. I, I do feel that most of the information that we get is now online, and good luck to it. I think that also, if you were asking me what I'd be reading right now at like, well, not right now, but like five o'clock this morning when I started work, I'd be going for FT.com, I'd go to Times and the Telegraph, I'd go to CNBC, and I'd go to whatever you'd done as well. You know what I mean? I'd be taking the raw data without having anybody within a fixed news cycle to define it for me. Does that answer your question? Do you see what I'm saying? In other words, I like the detail, but I don't want to have too many people filtering it for me. I like to have somebody like you who clearly knows what's going on. I clearly like to have somebody else, another analyst who knows what's going on, and a bit of the FT as well to see where they're putting their headline. It's that kind of thing. I'm not interested in the populist media doesn't exist for me at all. I don't need to. I don't need to worry about that. What I try to do, the, the particular people I broadcast to, is to say, this is what the market's saying. I think it's X, Y, and Z. And this is like you. You know, it's it's loads of years of experience of doing it, isn't it? Well, it is. And it also means that getting up at five in the morning isn't too much of a drag because you. it's one of the few occupations maybe where you honestly don't know what you're going to be facing later on in the day when the market's open. And it very much not only keeps you on your toes, of course, but it keeps the interest going. Yeah, it does, much as I curse it. And at the moment, I'm merely walking across the lawn into my, my little man cave, which you can see behind me. But even so, you know, yeah, you're right, you're right. I mean, it is, it, what, what it does is it gives you a reason to get up every morning and think, right, now, how am I going to react to this? What am I going to tell people about this? It's very valuable indeed. Not many people have the luxury of that kind of job. If you're burying away at a desk all the day, sorting out what other people have told you to do, that's bad. You know, we are very fortunate in what we do. Now, finally, Michael, you're a keen Manchester United fan. And when we were speaking a few weeks ago, very much against the crowd, you were casting some doubts over whether the Ronaldo signing was a good one. A few weeks on, how, how are you sticking by that? I, I do have my doubts about it. I think he's a wonderful player. I see tensions between a star player and a manager who... Now, here's, here's the thing, right? 
I know about Sir Alex. Get all that. Here's somebody else. Tommy Doherty, years ago, I was working on GMTV, and they said to me, we're doing the world, I think it was 1993, 4, and, and they said, who would you like? And I said, oh, can I have Tommy? Yeah. So Tommy came in. Now, Tommy Doherty had to, had to shift George Best, Bobby Charlton, out of that dressing room, as far as I know. Right? And I said to him, how did you do it? And he said, oh, it's quite simple. I just I needed to know what we needed to do for the team. You, you see how amazing that was? Can you imagine? You've been, probably, don't, probably not old enough to remember. It was huge. You know, George Best leaving Man United. I know he was in his trouble and doing all that kind of stuff. No. What Man United have done is, and unfortunately, Ole, Ole is there with the, the kind of Sir Alex kind of saying, yeah, I think this is a good idea. It's not a good idea. What you do is, as a manager, you get down on that bloody shop floor and you sort things out. And if it involves a star, then it involves a star. And it, unfortunately, it's all been shifting towards stardom rather than what Liverpool did, which is actually to make great players work within a system. That's, that, that's my take on it, if you want to know. No, and, and that's uh, absolutely fascinating, particularly, as you say, the rise of the star individual performer and, and the projects, which is how they describe moving between clubs rather than necessarily having any kind of loyalty towards that club. Exactly. Couldn't have put it better myself. Well done. Well, that's been absolutely terrific. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. So many thanks again for your time, Michael. And then obviously for those valuable insights, that's Michael Wilson, uh, business and economics, anchor and commentator, broadcaster and author. And thank you for listening. Please feel free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more, by the way, of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back next Tuesday with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now. <laughs>